You are listening to the Recovering Faith Podcast, an honest and non-judgmental discussion on faith in God and the doubts we often have, why it's sometimes difficult to trust God, and how we can know with a surety that He loves us. This show centers on strengthening and rebuilding our faith after loss, tragedy, or when coming to Christianity from a non-Christian or pseudo-Christian worldview. Now, here is your host, Gene Curl. Hello and welcome to the 71st episode of Recovering Faith Podcast. Uh, Today's episode is called Praise to the Man. And if you are now or ever were or are familiar with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as Mormonism, then you immediately know that this episode is about Joseph Smith. Uh, Joseph Smith, the first prophet of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, is a man who needs no introduction for the majority of the world. And most people either view him as a holy prophet or a heretical con man. One of the few prophecies that Joseph Smith got spot on, more or less, was the prophecy that his name would be known for good or evil throughout the entire world. The reason I say that it is more or less true is because Joseph Smith is either uh, famous and viewed as almost, uh, he's either famous and viewed in an almost godlike status, or he's infamous and demonized across most parts of the world. But there are parts of the world that has, without a doubt, never heard of the Book of Mormon, the church that will always be known as the Mormons, whether they want uh, to be known by that name or not or the man who wrote the book and founded the church. So the majority of the world either uh, knows about Joseph Smith and either views him as a holy prophet or they view him as a con man and as teaching heresy. There are some people who firmly believe that Joseph Smith was a prophet of God he restored the true gospel and is now ruling in heaven and will ne- and they will never believe that he did anything wrong much less that he was not a prophet regardless of how much evidence they see or how compelling it is those who love brother joseph will consider any evidence against him regardless of how credible to be nothing more than an attack against him by the devil there are also people who think joseph smith was basically the incarnate of satan and never did a noble or good thing in his entire life and are convinced that any report of his doing good was fabricated. Obviously, at least to me, both groups are demonstrably wrong. My opinions on Joseph Smith have changed over the years and though I once believed him to be a prophet, I now know he was just a man who took advantage of an opportunity to improve his status and that of his family and that he did some good things and some bad things, much like everyone else. No one is all good, and very few are all bad. If you were to ask any faithful member of the LDS Church about Joseph Smith, they would build him up as a great man and a prophet while downplaying how much reverence is directed toward him. But officially and culturally within the Church, Joseph Smith is held in such high regards as to put him on almost godlike status. 
As the song in the official LDS Church hymnal indicates, there is a lot of praise directed to the founder of the church, Joseph Smith, and he is often put on a level with Jesus himself. And in the Doctrine and Covenants, which is an official canonized scripture of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, it says that Joseph Smith has done more for the salvation of man on earth than any other man who lived or ever lived on it. Joseph Smith, the prophet and seer of the Lord, has done more, save Jesus only, for the salvation of men in this world than any other man that ever lived in it. In the short space of 20 years, he has brought forth the Book of Mormon, which he translated by the gift and power of God, and has been the means of publishing it on two continents, has sent the fullness of the everlasting gospel, which it contained, to the four quarters of the earth, has brought forth the revelations and commandments which compose this book of Doctrine and Covenants, and many other wise documents, and instructions for the benefit of the children of men, gathered many thousands of Latter-day Saints, founded a great city, and left a fame and a name that cannot be slain. He lived great, and he died great in the eyes of God and his people. And like most of the Lord's anointed in ancient times, he sealed his mission with his works and his own blood. And so has his brother Hiram. In life they were not divided, and in death they were not separated. When Joseph went to Carthage to deliver himself up to the pretended requirements of the law, two or three days previous to his assassination, he said, I am going like a lamb to the slaughter, but I am calm as a summer's morning. I have a conscience void of offense towards God and toward all men. I shall die innocent, and yet it shall be said of me he was murdered in cold blood. Doctrine and Covenants 135-3-4 the talk by Jason Kunzler, the business manage, uh, management faculty member at BYU-Idaho, uh, titled, Million Shall Know Brother Joseph Again, is a perfect representation of how much reverence the church gives to Joseph Smith. And uh, I encourage you to listen to the entire talk, which can be found uh, on the BYU-Idaho archives, and I will uh, put a link in the show notes. And also, in a little bit, I'm going to play a little bit of that uh, from that talk so you can hear it. But I would encourage you to listen to the whole thing. But among the many things said in the talk are the claims that we cannot go to heaven without Joseph Smith and that we are not to question him, his actions, or his character, regardless of what evidence we are confronted with. As President Joseph Fielding Smith said, we link the names of Jesus Christ and of Joseph Smith. President Brigham Young taught the same principle. He said, What I have received from the Lord, I have received by Joseph Smith. If I drop him, I must drop these principles. No man on the earth can say that Jesus lives and deny at the same time the prophet Joseph. He represents, in the words of President Gordon B. Hinckley, the hinge on which turns the gate that leads to salvation and eternal life. Elder McConkie believed that the measure of a person's spiritual maturity is found in his or her loyalty to the prophet Joseph Smith. How loyal are we to him? We live in a time when the character of Joseph Smith is under attack. The attacks against him come from every quarter, both flagrant attacks from outside the Church and more subtle and deadly attacks from among some members within. The devil knows 
that if he can only destroy the character of the prophet Joseph Smith in our hearts, then we will be barred from the presence of God the Father and Jesus Christ. As President Brigham Young testified, no man or woman in this dispensation will ever enter into the celestial kingdom of God without the consent of Joseph Smith. From the day that the priesthood was taken from the earth to the winding up scene of all things, every man and woman must have the certificate of Joseph Smith Jr. as a passport to their entrance into the mansion where God and Christ are. I with you and you with me. I cannot go there without his consent. He holds the keys of that kingdom. Beware of the many voices, whether out of the church or inside it, that humanized Joseph Smith by calling into question any aspect of his character. President Ezra Taft Benson warned of those who point out alleged weaknesses of prophets like Joseph Smith. What many see as wrongdoing in Joseph Smith was actually his obedience to God. If any hope to find a particle of evil in one so pure as Joseph Smith, they will find, as the Lord said, that their hope shall be blasted, and their prospects shall melt away as the hoar frost melteth before the burning rays of the rising sun. Any evil they think they may find in Joseph Smith, no matter how widely believed, will be a lie. For he was righteous and pure. He was more like the Savior than any other person on this earth. John Taylor said, Joseph Smith, the prophet and seer of the Lord, has done more, save Jesus only, for the salvation of men in this world than any other man that ever lived in it. Boyd K. Packer said, I know that Joseph Smith was a mighty prophet, seer, and revelator. With the exception of Jesus Christ, he is the greatest being who ever walked the face of this earth. I look to Joseph Smith. I love him. I seek to follow him. I read his words, and they become the standards to be observed in guiding this great church. The word of the Lord, the standard works, have all come to us through Joseph Smith. He gave us the Bible, in particular those plain and precious excerpts in the Joseph Smith translation. In writing the scriptures, the ancient prophets had their eyes fixed, not only on Jesus Christ, but also on Joseph Smith. As we humbly search the scriptures, we will come to know both Jesus Christ and his servant Joseph Smith. In this connection, may I offer a suggestion to all of us? If we truly desire to know the prophet, we must go to the right source. And that is not a Google search. As President Ezra Taft Benson taught, today, with the abundance of books available, it is the mark of a truly educated man to know what not to read. We cannot know the Savior or Joseph Smith without being 100% loyal to this church. Although we have received so many blessings through him, do we really know him? Do we know how great he really is? He said, you don't know me.
Perhaps we will only fully know the greatness of Joseph Smith after this life. According to those who associated with him, the prophet said, Would to God, brethren, I could tell you who I am. Would to God I could tell you what I know, but you would call it blasphemy. When compared to these testimonies of the Lord's prophets, my own testimony of the prophet Joseph Smith may mean very little to you, but it is everything to me. All spiritual blessings from the Lord have come to me because of Joseph Smith. It was, and it is no secret, that Joseph Smith was not a humble man and was overly proud of himself and sought every chance to build himself up in the eyes of his people. But once he died, he was built up to an even greater degree by those who preceded him in leadership than he built himself up to. As you can see by that talk, people, uh, people in the church uh, basically worship him. The reason those who came after Joseph Smith in leadership built him up to such a status and protected his reputation at all costs is because if Joseph Smith was not a prophet of epic proportions, then their claim to power was about as valid as a middle school child's claim on the playground that he or she is the ruler of the world. If Joseph Smith falls, then the entire church falls with him into disgrace and infamy. But if all of his faults can be hidden or explained away, and the members of the church can be convinced that he was the second greatest man to ever live, second only to the Lord himself, then they can ride on his coattails and claim to be prophets as well. In the song, Praise to the Man, which is uh, hymn number 27 in the uh, LDS hymn book, there is a lot of praise for Joseph Smith and no praise for God. There are, however, references to the unbiblical doctrine of, of a plurality of gods and Joseph Smith having his own kingdom and being worshipped. And the words that him, praise to the man, go, Praise to the man who communed with Jehovah, Jesus anointed that prophet and seer. Blessed to open the last dispensation, kings shall extol him and nations revere. Hail to the prophet ascended into heaven, traitors and tyrants now fight him in vain. Mingling with gods, notice that's plural, not, not just God, is mingling with gods, he can plan for his brethren. Death cannot conquer the hero again. Praise to his memory, he died as a martyr. Honored and blessed be his ever great name. Long shall his blood, which was shed by assassins, plead unto heaven while the earth lauds his fame. Great is his glory and endless his priesthood. Ever and ever the keys will he hold. Faithful and true, he will enter his kingdom. Crowned in the midst of the prophets of old, sacrifice brings forth the blessings of heaven. Earth must atone for the blood of that man. Wake up the world for the conflict of justice. Millions shall know Brother Joseph again. And that, of course, was written by W.W. Uh, Phelps, or, or William Wines Phelps was his name, but everyone goes, calls him W.W. Phelps. So, I once respected and revered Joseph Smith as the prophet of the Restoration and God's messenger, but now that my eyes have been opened to what type of man he truly was, I'm ashamed that I ever held him in such high esteem. Even when I was the most zealous about the church, 
I did not view Joseph Smith as a deity, nor did I consider him to be the greatest prophet to ever live. But it's clear that the church policy or, and their doctrine teaches that Joseph, uh, that Joseph Smith is basically a god, and, though it's not actually talked about often, but you can clearly find it in their doctrine. Every member of the church today knows the story of where Joseph Smith went into the woods and prayed, was attacked by Satan, and then saw Jesus, the Fa- Jesus and the Father, two separate and distinct persons, who told him that all the churches were corrupt and that he was forbidden to join any of them, and that he was given to be given the restored gospel at a later time. Um, it's important to note a side track here is that uh, there are some records in the, that Joseph Smith actually joined the Presbyterian Church with his wife uh, after this. So even though he was commanded not to join the church, supposedly he did. But anyhow, but the first people to join the LDS Church never heard that story. There's not one shred of evidence that Joseph Smith ever claimed to be visited by God before, nine, uh, before 1842, which were some 22 years after the incident supposedly took place. It seems that something that important would have been written about and talked about had it actually happened. Joseph Smith's mother, Lucy Mack Smith, who stayed in Nauvoo after the death of her son, wrote the history of her family, and there was no mention of Joseph Smith having had any visions at the age of 14, nor any other visions that predate the founding of the church. But she did talk about young Joseph telling many amusing stories about the ancient inhabitants of America, which lends credibility that Joseph Smith simply made up the Book of Mormon and had all the details worked out in his head many long years before he ever started dictating it to its scribes. And I always like to point out that uh, people say that, you know, it can't come up with a book that quickly. And there's actually been a lot of books written in a shorter time. Some of them are classics like um, The uh, Night Before Christmas. Not Night Before Christmas, but I mean um, A Christmas Carol. And then also some authors like John Irving, for instance, uh, never even puts pen to paper until they have every detail of their story worked out in their head, so they write it rather quickly. But in, in the history, uh, Joseph Smith's mother wrote, During our evening conversations, Joseph would occasionally give us some of the most amusing recitals that could be imagined. He would describe the ancient inhabitants of this continent, their dress, mode of travel, and the animals upon which they rode, their cities, their buildings, with every particular, their mode of warfare, and also their religious worship. And he would do it with as much ease, seemingly, as if he had spent his whole life among them. So obviously, with that kind of detail, it's easy for him to write the story when he's already had that much detail. But if you read the current version of the history of Joseph Smith by his mother, the above passage about Joseph Smith telling amusing recitals about the ancient inhabitants of the Americas is absent, and Joseph's visions were added. But this is a drastic change from the way the manuscript was written by Lucy Mack, and it was changed on the order of Brigham Young. In the 1902 introduction to the current printing, it states that Apostle Orson Pratt acquired a copy of the manuscript and published it in England, 
But when Brigham Young heard about it, he was much displeased and ordered all the copies to be destroyed and said it was because there were errors. At any rate, the original uh, writing by uh, Mother Smith herself did not contain the visions of Joseph Smith, and it did talk about his amusing, amusing recitals as a child. It was not uncommon for Joseph Smith to not practice what he preached. And he would justify it by saying that he was trying this, the faith of the saints. Abraham H. Cannon said, Joseph Smith preached a rousing sermon on the word of wisdom and then afterwards rode through the streets of Nauvoo smoking a cigar. And the quote goes, Joseph Smith tried the faith of the saints many times on his uh, peculiarities. At one time, he had preached a powerful sermon on the word of wisdom, and immediately thereafter, he rode through the streets of Nauvoo smoking a cigar. Some of the brethren were tried, as was Abraham of old. In addition to smoking, Joseph Smith also violated the word of wisdom by drinking alcohol and tea after the revelation was given. Joseph Smith's own son recounts the time when his father set up a bar in Nauvoo with, with Orrin Porter Rockwell. Quote, about 1842, a new and larger house was built for us, and a sign was put out giving the dignified name of the Nauvoo Mansion. Mother was to be installed as landlady and soon made the trip to St. Louis. When she returned, Mother found installed in the keeping room of the hotel, that is to say, the main room where the guests assembled and where they were received upon arrival, a bar with counter, shelves, bottles, glasses, and other paraphernalia, customary for a fully equipped tavern bar, and Porter Rockwell in charge as tender. She was very much displeased and disturbed over this arrangement. Joseph, she asked, what is the meaning of the bar in this house? How does it look, she asked, for the spiritual head of a religious body to be keeping a hotel, which is a room fitted out as a liquor-selling establishment? He reminded her that all taverns had their bars at which liquor was sold or dispensed. Mother Smith's a mother's reply came emphatically clear and utterly, and sorry, and uttered quickly. Well, Joseph, I will take my children and go across to the old house and stay there, for I will not have them raised up under such conditions as this arrangement imposes upon us, nor have them mingled with the kind of men who frequent such a place. You are at liberty to make your choice. Either the bar goes out of the house or we will. It did not take Father Long to make the choice, for he replied immediately, Very well, Emma, I will have it removed at once. Unquote. When Joseph... Smith was in prison, awaiting trial for his part in the destruction of the Nauvoo Expositor. He drank wine, and despite apologists claiming that it was used as a sacrament, those who survived the encounter say otherwise. And it says, uh, Sometime after dinner, we sent for some wine, and it had been reported that some... Uh, it has been reported by some that this was taken as a sacrament. It was no such thing. Our spirits were generally dull and heavy, and it was sent uh, for to revive us. I think it was Captain Jones who went after it, but they would not suffer him to return. 
I believe we all drank of the wine and gave some to one or two of the prison guards. We all of us felt unusually dull and languid uh, with remarkable depression of spirit. And in, uh, in consonance with those feelings, I sang a song that had be lately been introduced in Nauvoo entitled A Poor Wafering Man of Grief. And that was, uh, I believe, Willard Richard. Uh, reference to that quote will be in the show notes. So, Speaking of being in prison, I acknowledge that being arrested for a crime does not necessarily mean that a person is guilty of the crime charged with. But Joseph Smith spent a lot of time either in prison or running from the law. The church, by the way, does not deny that Joseph Smith destroyed the Nauvoo Expositor. It's often claimed by the faithful that Joseph Smith was never convicted of anything, which is not entirely true and is also misleading. There are conflicting accounts on whether or not Joseph Smith was convicted of fraud and being a disorderly person. And he did lose some lawsuits, which isn't actually a criminal trial, so... And he, he stood trial for a lot of times on small charges and was released for lack of proper evidence or on technicalities. But on the larger crimes, Joseph Smith refused to stand trial, and he did all he could to ensure that he never had to stand trial for those crimes. Through a series of bribery and escaping prison, Joseph Smith was able to avoid having a proper trial in Missouri for his war crimes during the Missouri-Mormon War, and then he refused to return to Missouri because he knew he would be justly arrested on a legal arrest warrant. The last charge Missouri made against Joseph and tried having extradited for was the attempted murder of former Governor Lulburn Boggs. While I personally believe Joseph Smith did actually conspire to have Governor Boggs murdered, I have not seen enough compelling evidence for me to have convicted him of the crime had I been a juror. But that does not mean that he didn't do it. It just means that there is a reasonable doubt. On his other charges, however, I have seen more than enough evidence to convict, mostly from church official sources. Joseph Smith was a fugitive from justice for most of his adult life, and would undoubtedly have been convicted for the myriad of crimes had he, uh, he had committed in Missouri during the Mormon-Missouri War had he ever stood trial. And even when he started the Nauvoo Safety Society, which was a basically a bank, even though he was not given legal permission to start a bank, and then when it failed and everybody lost their money, he fled town. Now, a lot of members and apologists say that Joseph Smith was justified in running from the law since he was innocent. But technically... It didn't matter if you're innocent or not. You still have to stand trial if you're accused. And running makes you appear more guilty. And the law doesn't give anyone the permission to refuse to stand trial if they claim innocence. Because if they did, then no one would ever go to trial or be held to answer for any crime. The Bible is clear on the matter and says that we should subject ourselves to the law, even if the law is unjust. And that if we are... Uh, that if we're commanded by the law to do something that is against our morals, we're to commit civil disobedience, but then to accept the punishment of the law. Meaning that, say, if the law tells us we have to do something that's against our religion, 
such as, say, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were commanded to worship Neb- uh, Nebuchadnezzar, but they didn't worship him. But when they were um, going to suffer the penalty for it, they did not try to get out of the penalty because Nebuchadnezzar was the king and he had the power over them and they didn't try to get out of it. They just were said, okay, we broke the, your law and we're going to subject, our, uh, subject ourselves to your law. Of course, they were saved, but that's beside the point. Uh, the apostles subjected themselves to the law as well, and even though Paul had many opportunities to escape, he remained subject to law and actually was in prison all the later part of his life. And in Romans 13, 1-5, it says, Let everyone be subjected to the two governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established which, of course, would also mean the, the uh, government in Missouri. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on wrongdoers. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to authorities, not only because of the possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Refusing to stand trial because you are convinced that you'll be convicted is in no, uh, in no way exonerates a person from their crimes, and it does not signify ignorance, ign- <coughs> sorry, innocence. If anything, uh, refusing to stand trial makes you look uh, all the more guilty. I think it is of it is of note that the apostles in the Bible did not run from the law, and they were willing to subject themselves to the demands of the law. Paul and Silas were arrested for preaching in Philippi, and at midnight, the Bible tells us, there was a great earthquake that made it possible for Paul and Silas to escape. However, they didn't escape. Even though they could escape, Paul and Silas stayed and evangelized to the guards, uh, so the guard and to his family, who were all baptized. In the morning, the authorities set the man free. But Paul made no attempt to leave before he was legally allowed to. Now compare that to the actions of Joseph Smith, who, ex- who illegally escaped cust- uh, custody several times. He refused to be extradited, so forth and so on. When Joseph was charged with the destruction of the printing press in Nauvoo, he went on the run with his brother, Hiram, and he did not turn himself in until the saints accused him of cowardice, which can be read in the church history and in the lesson manuals. Reynold Cahoon said, You always said, if the church would stick to you, you would stick to the church. Now trouble comes, and you are the first to run. Joseph Smith actively denied having plural wives, even though he had upwards to 40 wives, some as young as 14. 
So not only was he breaking the law, he was lying about it to the law and to his followers and even to his wife. I won't go into the proof of this claim because I did so in detail a few episodes back in my blog titled uh, Prophets and Polygamy. And uh, there is a link to that on this blog post. And um, I'll put it in the show notes as well. So speaking of plural marriage, Joseph took on multiple wives and he hid his relationship from his wife, Emma. And when she found out about about them and became angry, he came up with the doctrine that he could have more than one wife and that she was sinning by questioning him and that if she did not allow him to have more wives, then um, she would be destroyed. And of course, this is in the Doctrine and Covenants. And he said that it was a revelation from the Almighty God. Joseph also said that the revelation given him from God said that Emma was not allowed to be with anyone else, but Joseph uh, could have as many wives as he wanted so long as they were virgins and they were not vowed to any man. Of course, a lot of Joseph's wives were not virgins, and some were even married to other men at the time Joseph married them. Somehow, a man claiming to receive a revelation for his wife that she had to obey him or be destroyed has always rubbed me the wrong way. It seems like a man exercising unrighteous dominion over his wife. Joseph Smith grew up looking for treasure, using a seer stone, and having people pay him for the service. But he never found any treasure. And that's one of the things that he got sued for several times, is he, people paid him to find treasure, and he said he could find treasure, and then he didn't find it. Later, Joseph claimed to have been visited by a host of heavenly visitors, and he started a religion that was founded on his claim that he translated an ancient manuscript using the same seer stone that he had previously used to not find buried treasure. Now, up until the publication of the Joseph Smith papers, whenever anyone would say that Joseph Smith translated the Book of Mormon using a rock and a hat instead of the interpreters that were supposedly buried with the golden plates, it was quickly written off as an anti-Mormon lie. But now the church admits that Joseph, uh, admits Joseph Smith putting a stone in a hat and sticking his face in the hat was how the book was translated. And they have even published pictures of the seer stone. And uh, that was published in Salt Lake Tribune and also in the Joseph Smith Papers, which are an official publication of the church. And I don't remember which volume of the Joseph Smith Papers uh, the Sarah Stone picture is in or the uh, talking about that. But, you know, it's, you can Google it. It's pretty easy. So um, Emma's, uh, Emma Smith, Joseph Smith's first wife uh, and only legitimate wife, Emma's parents never liked Joseph Smith. And the church history tells us that when Joseph asked Isaac Hale for his daughter's hand, he gave a thundering refusal. But Joseph convinced Emma to elope and get married to him anyway, despite her parents' objection. The Hales had the same opinion of Joseph that most of his contemporaries did, which was that he was a no-good-for-nothing crook and a dishonest person. The church freely admits that its entire reputation rests or falls on the reputation of Joseph Smith, and that if he was not a prophet, then the entire church is based on a lie. 
And that is why they try so hard to protect his image, even when they know all of his myriad of faults, which they conveniently sweep under their rug and forget to talk about. I once believed that Joseph Smith was, uh, I once believed that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was God's kingdom on earth and that Joseph Smith was the great prophet of the Restoration. But I now know so much about the Church's history and about Joseph Smith that there is no way it is or could be the work of God. I think the advent of Mormonism is, perhaps, the biggest and most vile con ever perpetuated upon mankind. Don't praise the man. Praise Jesus and follow the Bible and only the Bible. Thanks for listening and God bless. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Faith Podcast. Please rate and review this show and share it with your friends and family. You are loved.